Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, November 7th, 2021. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor John Gentry. Uh, Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Finish this iconic line. Romeo, Romeo. Exactly. Wherefore art thou, Romeo? That is, of course, uh, a line in the Shakespearean tragedy, Romeo and Juliet, from the balcony scene, right? Uh, So under the night sky, Juliet tries to imagine a world in which she and her star-crossed lover, Romeo, could end up together. Against all odds, in spite of the generations of drama between their two families, that has made their romance a forbidden love. Uh, by the way, I, I learned in my preparations for this sermon that wherefore does not mean where. Uh, hopefully I'm not the only person figuring out this just now. Apparently it means why or for what reason. Uh, and when she's saying wherefore out the Romeo, she is lamenting. She is throwing her fist up in the frustration at the unlucky hand of fate that's been dealt to her. In effect, she's saying, why, Romeo, do you have to be from that family? Of all the families in town, the one family that's supposed to be my enemy. Juliet, Juliet's next line goes like this, deny thy father and refuse thy name. For Juliet, the thing that stands in the way of her future with Romeo is an inconvenient name. The family names, Capulet and Montague, that were given to them at birth are loaded with family drama that they did not choose for themselves. And uh, in another iconic line, Juliet muses to herself, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. She knows that uh, Romeo would still be the same sweet Romeo regardless of what she put at the end of his name. In the grand scheme of things, Romeo and Juliet isn't just about puppy love between two coming-of-age teens or between two garden gnomes, if you're watching Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) It's about the way that names and reputations are claimed, rejected, or transformed. As we turn our attention to today's lectionary reading, the Book of Ruth also asks the question of, what's in a name? And while William Shakespeare's play focuses on the way that Romeo and Juliet identify themselves apart from the dysfunction of their families, the book of Ruth focuses on the way that Ruth forms her identity in connection with her family. Who is Ruth, you might ask? That is a question that the writer begs us to keep asking from start to finish. And along the way, the writer also invites us to ask, Not only who is Ruth, but who are you? The first part of today's reading, Ruth chapter 3, 1 through 5, lands at the center of the narrative when things really start to heat up. It's a conversation between mother-in-law and daughter-in-law about how to navigate life uh, after losing both of their husbands. They talk about the chance to turn over a new leaf, uh, there in Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem, and find a sense 
of rootedness for these two wanderers who have been on the move. So it begins like this in uh, the first verse of chapter 3. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, I need to seek some security for you so that it may be well with you. Notice uh, Naomi's maternal instincts kicking in as she works with Ruth to dream up a new future for themselves. She knows that being a widow is no easy life in a patriarchal society where women are largely dependent on men. There's a reason why ancient Israelite laws make protections for widows, instructing people to leave, their, leave them from their excess of their crops, to care for them with the people's tithes, and not to take advantage of their financial vulnerability. In fact, Deuteronomy 27.19 emphatically proclaims, Cursed be anyone who deprives the alien, the orphan, and the widow of justice. And yet the reality is that women in this culture, especially widows like Ruth and Naomi, are fighting an uphill battle. Naomi and Ruth have had the rug pulled out from underneath them, and so they are in pursuit of a more secure life. If you have uh, ever come to a place in your life when things felt unstable, then you know why these women would be in search of some security, right? When you, when you don't have some of your basic needs met, it can be hard to focus on anything else. Uh, being married to a teacher, uh, I hear a lot about the challenges that schools face uh, in addressing students' needs, uh, even outside the classroom. The uh, New York Times wrote this last month. There's plenty of research that shows that eating breakfast and lunch is linked with a reduction in nurse visits, improved attendance, and better test scores. Not to mention that children who don't eat tend to distract the rest of the class, affecting others' learning experiences too. The uh, article goes on to point out that the pandemic uh, has put a magnifying glass on the subject of food insecurity. Uh, prior to the pandemic, more than half of American school children were taking advantage of the free or reduced priced meal program that public schools offer. For, uh, which I think is a staggering figure, and that's before the pandemic. Uh, when schools kept this program going, even as uh, learning went virtual, the long lines of families who showed up at schools to pick up meals created a, uh, a, a visual that cemented the reality of the problem. If you weren't sure that this was an issue when you heard the statistic, now uh, you could see it with your own eyes. And for this very reason, uh, as of this summer, California adopted a new policy allowing all students to eat breakfast and lunch for free and made history as the first state to do so. And I don't know about you, but I felt kind of proud uh, to be a Californian when I read that. And so here in Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem, when Ruth has been laboring in Boaz's wheat and barley fields to put food on the table, and it turns out that Boaz is a relative to Naomi, and in chapter 3, after Ruth has been working in these fields for some time and has caught his eye, the women look to Boaz as a possible kinsman redeemer. Uh, in ancient Israelite culture, if a woman's husband died, she could look to her husband's brother to take her into his household to provide for her, to keep the land and the family, and to continue the family line. 
And the question is, could Boaz be that for Ruth? Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't exactly fit the qualifications of a kinsman redeemer to the T, uh, and he's not bound by law to do anything. But he is related, and he's well-to-do, and attracted to Ruth. Uh, growing up, I, I read this story as a rescue story when I was growing up. I saw Boaz as the hero who swooped in to save the day and wipe away Ruth's tears. Boaz was the, the knight in shining armor, and Ruth, Ruth was the damsel in distress. But there are several problems with this way of reading the book of Ruth. And the most obvious problem with that is that Ruth is not depicted as weak or helpless. It is her actions, her actions, that move the plot along. Ruth makes the bold decision to become a travel companion to her mother-in-law, even when it means she would become a foreigner in a strange land. Ruth rolls up her sleeves when, she, uh, when they get to their destination and puts in the hard work for their survival. When an opportunity comes across her path, Ruth takes the risk of approaching Boaz and making the moves. Joan uh, Chittister, she writes this, it is the women who are the real redeemers of the system itself. It is Naomi who goes on co-creating possibilities with her creator God. It is she who suggests responses that lie beyond the law. It is because of her designs that the whole world becomes more whole. Ruth presses the system to its limits and beyond. Boaz is not technically bound to marry her, nor does he attempt to, until Ruth pursues more than what the law demands. Ruth and Naomi bring the system to be its best. You know, both uh, Ruth and Naomi are people who courageously exemplify human agency as a force for good. You know, we do not always get to choose the hammer dealt, right? Uh, and more often than not, we don't get to choose. But as people of faith, we share a mission in working together uh, toward a more just and peaceful world. You might remember that a, uh, about a month ago, during the Time with Children worship, I interviewed Kirsten Larson, uh, who's a nonfiction children's book author and an active member of our church. And I interviewed her uh, about their latest book, A True Wonder, The Comic Book Hero Who Changed Everything. The book explores the story of how the character of Wonder Woman was created and how she evolved in the comic over time. Uh, and it does this with breathtaking illustrations by Katie Wu. Uh, Wonder Woman emerged as a period in the comics when female superheroes were in short supply. She also emerged at a turning point in comic book history when parents were looking for positive role models within comics. Wonder Woman uh, embodied some of the best qualities of American ideals, things like equality and justice and freedom. Uh, for me, one of the most interesting bits of history in, in Kirsten's book is the way that she wrestles or that different writers and artists interpreted who Wonder Woman was at her core. What made Wonder Woman wondrous? Uh, there was a time in comics history when creative teams began to lose sight of uh, the things that made her powerful and influential, not only within the stories of the comic, but also to her readers. And at points, they take away her costume, believe it or not, and her superpowers. 
You know, they even take away her desire to be a superhero and replace it with dreams of settling down. And so it took other writers and artists, usually female, to reclaim Wonder Woman for who she really is. Uh, even voices outside of the comic industry, people like Gloria Steinem, Joanne Edgar, and the staff of Miss Magazine reminded people uh, that Wonder Woman is a symbol of strength and self-reliance, sisterhood and mutual support, and peacefulness. A true wonder, uh, Kirsten's book, it asks readers to how they will be heroes of their own story. And I wonder, suppose that we took that challenge and apply it to our story as disciples of Jesus Christ. When we gather for worship today, we, we claim and we reclaim who God made us to be. People with real gifts who, as Esther says, are called into action for such a time as this. At the beginning of Ruth chapter 3, Naomi certainly recognizes opportunity when it knocks, and so she devises a plan. And this is the plan that uh, Naomi and Ruth land on. Now here. It's, this is Naomi speaking. Now here is our kinsman Boaz, with, whom young women, with whose young women you have been working. See, is, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now wash and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she said to her, all that you tell me, I will do. Uh, scholars across the board will tell you that there is palpable sexual tension between being created in these verses. Uh, I had a hard time finding consensus on what uncovers his feet means specifically, since there are actually wildly different theories. But regardless, the picture that is being painted for us is that love is in the air. Uh, words will be exchanged on the threshing floor, but Ruth wants to make sure that her message is clear from the get-go. When, when we hear Naomi's advice to, uh, to Ruth about freshening up, it's easy to read between the lines. Marks, uh, sparks are about to fly. Ruth knows it, and she's getting ready to leave an impression. Uh, I think this is a familiar scene to anyone who's ever stood in front of the closet before a date wondering, hmm, what should I wear, Right? Uh, you know, a Barry record is uh, spinning. A Barry White record is spinning in the background. Uh, there's clouds of perfume filling the room. And uh, Catherine Dube Sakenfield writes this: Bathing was probably not an everyday or even weekly practice in ancient Israel, and the use of oil implied by the choice of the Hebrew verb anoint in such a non-utilitarian way as bodily anointed would surely have been even less frequent. So the introductory instructions for personal preparation already gave Ruth a clue that Naomi has something unusual in mind. With all the uh, gussying up that we're reading about as Ruth gets ready to meet Boaz, uh, I think if, you're re if you read this chapter on its own, you might assume it's a love story. Uh, after all, the book of Ruth does end with a marriage and the birth of a baby, uh, but I would actually argue you can actually call this a love story only if you allow for two major caveats. Let's start with the fact that uh, the love story we are getting in the book of Ruth is not your average 90-minute rom-com. 
Uh, it is, it's not playful or whimsical or lighthearted. Uh, this is love that is hard won. Let's not forget, forget everything that has led up to this moment. The uh, story of Ruth begins with famine, uh, and then it segues into the death of loved ones. We don't even get to hear about Ruth's grief, uh, but we do hear about Naomi's when she changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. By the time we get to chapter 3, the stakes are very high. Uh, Ruth is about to make a very bold move in approaching Boaz under the cover of night, uh, without invitation, with no advance notice on his turf, going alone without the safety of numbers. But it's worth it. And what she sees in Boaz is a good man who's treated her with dignity and has noticed her integrity throughout her struggles. Not every story ends with a happily ever after, but we can breathe a sigh of relief when we read this one. Amy Jill uh, Levine writes this, The text moves from the emptiness of Moab to the renewed fertility of Bethlehem, a good harvest, marriage and security, and the birth of a son. So gratefully, this love story ends with love. The second caveat, and by far the more important one, is this, that this is a love story about God's faithful, fearless, covenant-making love. The plot twist is that this divine love is depicted through the story of one of the most unlikely candidates. Ruth is a poor, widowed immigrant whose uh, native land is a heathen, idolatrous nation, at least as far as Israelites were concerned. By certain standards, she is completely forgettable. Uh, in fact, one, uh, on two different occasions in chapter 3, she's asked, who are you? We who are listening to this story, of course, know exactly who Ruth is. She shows us through her loyalty to Naomi uh, and through her leaps of faith what it means to love like God loves. She imitates God's role as the restorer of life and the nourisher of old age. And she does this by helping Naomi find a, a new lease on life and by guaranteeing security for Naomi and herself in finding a kinsman redeemer. Uh, Candy Queen Sutherland sums it up nicely. The story's primary purpose is to demonstrate the central role of loving kindness to the identity and the character of God's people. And I'd say that this story achieves that purpose beautifully. Ruth shows us what's in a name. And Ruth also acts like a mirror. The story asks us, who are you? Maybe you found yourself contending with labels throughout your life that you've either inherited or, or earned or outgrown. Maybe you've wondered who it is that is underneath it all. I mean, it's, it's complicated, right? We are complex people, and no one should be reduced to a label. And yet the, Ruth, the story of Ruth also welcomes each and every one of us to discover who they are from the common starting point of God's love. However, entertaining the, Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth is with all of its Shakespearean flair, including elements of mystery, heartache, surprise, romance, scandal, and of course, family drama, uh, it is ultimately a testimony to the love of God. And as we see in the story's main characters, especially in Ruth, God invites us to build our identities around that radical love. 
Amen? As we look to do that today and in days and weeks to come, let us find God's grace in our lives to embrace that radical love in each and every one of us.